Good evening. Tonight we're beginning this teaching series that Pastor Mark is actually going to be doing. I'm just doing um, the first week, and he's going to be mainly focusing on 1 Corinthians 12 through 14. He's asked me this first week to review a topic from last year. Last year we did a series called What We Believe, and it was based on our 16 fundamental truths or statement of faith that we adhere to here at Calvary. And one of those 16 fundamental truths was concerning the Holy Spirit, or specifically the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And that's what I'm going to review right now. It's, it's, it's a thing that we did last year. You can find all 16 of our fundamental truths, our statement of faith, on our website. If you go to the About menu and under that, you'll find what we believe underneath that menu. So, this is what the statement of faith is, or the fundamental belief that we're talking about tonight. Here he goes. Believers are encouraged to experience the baptism in the Holy Spirit, which was the typical experience in the early Christian church. The baptism in the Holy Spirit brings power for life and service, a deeper love for God, and a greater dedication to Christ and His work and Word. Let's pray. Father, tonight I pray that you would help us to understand, Father, what your Word has to say about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. These are things that we believe, but Lord, help us to understand why we believe them. Let us understand your Scripture. Reveal yourself and your truth to us tonight through your Scripture. In Jesus' name, amen. So I do think it's important not just to know what we believe, but to know why we believe what we believe. In the Calvary Temple, you know, the Bible is our standard for faith and our standard for con conduct and our standard for doctrine. So everything that we believe, we want to make sure it lines up with the Scripture. And that's what we're going to talk about tonight. So um, hang on to your hats or anything else that's loose because we're going to go through a lot of Scripture tonight. And I'm, I'll try not to go too fast, but I, I want to make sure that we do understand the scriptural basis for the baptism of the Holy Spirit. You see, I grew up in a different denomination, and we rarely spoke about these things at all. It's not that I was ever taught that the baptism of the Holy Spirit is not real or doesn't still happen today or anything like that. We just never talked about it. The only time those words ever came up would be if we were talking in Sunday school, for example, about Jesus um, being baptized by John the Baptist, and we talk about what John the Baptist had to say about him, or if we were actually talking about the day of Pentecost and we heard the story about what happened in the upper room, but we never dwelt on that. And when I was in college, I started going to the Assemblies of God Church, a full gospel church, and I was exposed to this doctrine about the baptism of the Holy Spirit and being a good, uh, a good Baptist, I was raised Baptist, um, I studied the Bible, and I wanted to make sure that what I was being taught was in the Bible. And it took me a while to really get to the point where I realized, okay, okay I get it. This is real. And that's what I want to talk about tonight with all of you. For some of you, um, the baptism of the Holy Spirit maybe is something that, that you've grown up with if you've grown up in this kind of tradition in a Pentecostal environment or, or charismatic or something like that. For others of you... It, it may be completely foreign, it may be like it was for me, that you've heard about it, but you're not quite sure what it's all about. So what I'm going to do is hopefully encourage and strengthen those of you who already understand this and is part of your doctrine, and hopefully enlighten through the Scriptures the rest of us with what the baptism of the Holy Spirit is, is actually about. You see, the work of the Holy Spirit in the lives of people, um, believers and unbelievers alike, is rich and varied. The Holy Spirit does quite a bit of internal work in our lives. He comforts us. He counsels us. He brings things to our remembrance. 
Um, he reveals God to us. He guides us in all truth. In fact, even the Holy Spirit works in unbelievers because the Scripture says that it's the Holy Spirit who convicts us when we are still lost. In fact, convicts the whole world of sin and draws us to God. So the Holy Spirit does a lot internally, um, but there's also a very specific, powerful, external aspect to the work of the Holy Spirit. And that is the aspect that the baptism in the Holy Spirit actually brings about. So let's take a look at what the New Testament has to say. As I said, I'm going to have a lot of Scripture tonight. And what we're going to do is start with John the Baptist. He's the first person in the New Testament that we see talking about the baptism in the Holy Spirit. In Matthew, the third chapter, we read, this is John the Baptist talking. He's talking to all the people that have gathered by the Jordan River. I baptize you with water for repentance, but after me comes one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor, gathering his wheat into the barn and burning up the chaff with unquenchable fire. In Mark, the first chapter, Mark writes this, and this was his message talking about John the Baptist. After me comes the one more powerful than I, the straps of whose sandals am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. In Luke, third chapter, John answered them all, I baptize you with water, but one who is more powerful than I will come. The straps of whose sandal I'm not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn. He will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. And finally in John. The next day John saw Jesus coming toward him and he said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. This is the one I meant when I said... A man who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but the reason I came baptizing with water was that he might be revealed, revealed to Israel. Then John gave this testimony. I saw the Lord come down from heaven as a dove and remain on him. And I myself did not know him, but the one who sent me to baptize with water told me. And that's the Father. He's talking about God the Father. The man on whom you see the Spirit come down and remain is the one who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. I have seen and I testify this is God's chosen one. See, all four of the Gospels, all four of them written by four different people, all show John the Baptist declaring that there is one coming, and that is the Christ, Jesus the Christ, or the Messiah, who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. And he actually says that in contrast to how he baptized in water. In, far, in fact, Mark wrote that explicitly because Mark said, I baptize you with water, but I will baptize. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize with the Holy Spirit. That was the contrast that John the Baptist was making. In fact, we never see Jesus baptizing anyone in the Bible. We never see Jesus baptizing anyone. And John, in his gospel, directly mentioned this. He said in John 4, verses 1 through 2, Now Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that he was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John, although in fact it was not Jesus who baptized, but his disciples. And that lines up with John the Baptist, what John the Baptist has said. Jesus is not going to baptize with water. 
Jesus is going to baptize with the Holy Spirit. So, that's the baptism that Jesus performs. And at this point, I want to point something out before we move any further. I want to address two additional words that both Matthew and Luke added in their account, if you picked up on them, I'm sure you did, and fire, right? Just those two Gospels say John is saying baptized with water and fire. Here's the quote. This is the one from, jo- from Luke, the third chapter. And actually, both of these accounts are almost exact word for word. Luke says, His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into the barn. Now, he's talking metaphorically, right? The wheat being those who are redeemed, God's people. Gather the wheat into his barn, but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. And that's metaphor for the unrepentant or the law. Some believe, and here's why I bring this up, some believe that baptizing with fire is part and parcel to baptizing with the Holy Spirit. In fact, there are people that believe baptizing with fire refers to what happened on the day of Pentecost. And we're going to get to that later, the scripture that talks about what appear to be tongues of fire over the people's heads. And I will tell you that personally, I, I don't believe that's the same thing, and I'm going to tell you why. Three reasons. First, when you see fire mentioned in the Bible, it's almost exclusively, almost exclusively referring to punishment and judgment. Um, you've heard the term, our God is an all-consuming fire, right? I mean, sometimes we even sing songs, all-consuming fire, fall on us. Well, well, what all-consuming fire means, it's, it's not something that we should be excited about and, and sing songs about. Um, God is an all-consuming fire, destroys everything, utterly destroys. We see this term used twice in the book of Deuteronomy. One is in the fourth chapter, and, and it's talking about God's response to idolatry, right? Which is, which is just blasphemous before God. We see it in Deuteronomy 9 where it's talking about God going before the Israelites into the promised land, and he's going to utterly destroy all the enemies before the Israelites as an all-consuming fire. And then we see it in the New Testament in Hebrews 12.9, and it is a warning in Hebrews 12.9 to worship God acceptably with reverence and awe. Why? Because he's an all-consuming fire. Again, it's talking about God's judgment. And I believe that both Matthew and Luke support this because along with the fact that only Matthew and Luke add those two words and fire, but then they follow immediately with this description of how Jesus will separate the wheat from the chaff and will burn the chaff with unquenchable fire. It's clearly a reference to the judgment that Jesus will bring. Second, my second reason that I don't think this refers to what happened on Pentecost, is because the way Luke, Luke the historian is the one who wrote the book of Acts, the way he describes what happened in the upper room is that they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. And other translations, that's the NIV, NIV, other translations say um, divided tongues as of fire and cloven tongues like as of fire and Luke is simply describing what appeared to come down and rest on these people's heads. Um, And he describes it as being like fire. He doesn't describe it as fire. In fact, if it was fire, I'm quite certain he would have said that it was fire. And thirdly, my third reason is, 
If this was indeed how Jesus was to baptize in, in the Holy Spirit, we would see it every time we see people in the book of Acts baptized in the Holy Spirit, but we don't. The only time we see this phenomenon is in the upper room on the day of Pentecost. So for these reasons, I believe what John the Baptist is describing in Matthew and in Luke is two separate events. He describes the baptism of Jesus' followers with the Holy Spirit, yeah? And he describes future punishment on the unrepentant, which he goes on to describe with unquenchable flame. So to move on. Continuing what Luke writes in the book of Acts about this, Luke clearly describes Jesus referring to the baptism of the Holy Spirit as a gift promised by the Father. Yeah, it's a gift from God to us. In Luke, this is how he wraps up. This is towards the end of the, the, his first volume, Luke. He writes, and this is Jesus talking. He says, I'm going to send you what my Father has promised, but stay in the city until you have been clothed with power on high. And then he goes on. Um, see, he, he spoke those words on Resurrection Sunday, right? He spoke those on the day that he appeared um, to his disciples, and he described to them all the things that had to take place according to Scripture, and then he said that. And in Luke's next writing, his next volume, which was the book of Acts, Luke part 2, he starts off by recapitulating how he ended the first book. And he says again, this is in Acts 1, verse 4 and 5. And on one occasion while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my Father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized in the Holy Spirit. And then... Before Jesus ascends into heaven, he gives the disciples one more little bit of information. This is what he says. Acts 1, verse 8. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. See, this sequence of events shows us some things regarding God's promise of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. This promise, understand, was given to disciples to people who were already, already in close communion with Jesus. Note this. These, event, these individuals, first of all, who, whose names were already written in heaven. Jesus told them that in Luke, in the 10th chapter. He says, however, do not rejoice that the spirits submit to you, talking about how they cast out demons, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. These are people whose names are already written in heaven. These are people who were clean before God through Christ's word. We see Jesus saying this as he was washing their feet. And, you know, and Peter said, well, first don't wash my feet. And then he says, well, wash all of me. And this is what Jesus said in the 13th chapter. Jesus answered, those who have had a bath only need to wash their feet. Their whole body is clean, and you are clean, though not every one of you, he said, talking about Judas. And later, still in the upper room, Jesus said in the 15th chapter of John, you are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. So this gift of the Holy Spirit was given to people whose names were already written in heaven, those who had been cleansed by Christ, and the third thing, they were under the new covenant, meaning they were no longer under the law of the Old Testament. In Hebrews, we see this in Hebrews, the ninth chapter, it says, for this reason, Christ is the mediator of a new covenant that those who are called 
may receive the promised eternal inheritance. Now that he has died as a ransom to set them free from the sins committed under the first covenant. Now that he has died, and this takes place after Jesus has died. This takes place after the crucifixion. So these are people also who are now living in this new covenant. And then they receive this promise from the Father. So here's my point. It kind of sounds like I'm belaboring this, but, but, but this is my point for bringing it up. It is possible for a person to be regenerated, saved, cleansed from sin, and under the new covenant as Jesus' disciples were, and still not have been baptized in the Holy Spirit. It appears in Scripture as a separate and distinct event apart from salvation and sanctification. And that's what we believe as our fundamental truth. We believe that baptism of the Holy Spirit is separate and distinct from salvation and from sanctification. And we think the Bible and the Scripture bears that out. In fact, you'll notice the emphasis of Acts chapter 1 verse 8, and you will receive what? Power. It seems that it is power, not regeneration, not sanctification that is the focus of this baptism of the Holy Spirit. You can be regenerated and growing as a Christian, which means you're growing, you're being sanctified, going through sanctification, and still not have received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. That is what we believe, and that is why we believe that. Let's take a look at baptism of the Holy Spirit in the book of Acts. I believe the book of Acts, I think we all do, is put in the Bible for a reason. It's not just curiosity that we see the story of what happened. It's not that at all. It's not just to tell a narrative. It's not just to tell history. It is also there for theology and for doctrine. And I think we have to be very careful when we read Acts to be able to, to get that out of what, uh, what the, the, historian, the historian Luke is writing. So we're going to look at what we see with the baptism of the Holy Spirit in the book of Acts. And I want to start with the, the first, right, the, the big show, right, the big event. And that was the day of Pentecost. And I'm going to read a bit of scripture to you. This is from Acts 2. And I want to start with the first verse. We're going to, going to read a long passage here. And it says, When the day of Pentecost was come, they were all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind, came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. And when they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment bewilderment, because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it each of us hears them in our own language? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya near, near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazing, perplexed, they ask one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said, they've had too much wine. Okay, 
So then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice and addressed the crowd, fellow Jews and all you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. No, this is what was spoken of by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they will prophesy. I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And get this, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And then if we drop down to the 40th verse, this is how he wraps it up. With many other words he warned them and he pleaded with them, save yourself from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. So, just a few observations, I'm going to move on, about this first, this first occurrence of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. One, when they were filled with the Holy Spirit, the sound of a mighty rushing wind filled the house where they were. It doesn't say a wind blew through that house, does it? It doesn't say blew through the curtains. I remember... Um, I remember seeing the little, what do they call those things? Felt boards. Anybody remember felt boards? Right, the little sticks of pieces of paper you slap on the Bible figures. I remember a little felt board of Pentecost and, and, and it shows a curtain blowing. <laughs> yeah, right, the wind, you know, blowing. There was no wind. Scripture says there was the sound of not just a wind, but a mighty wind and the sound filled that place. They saw tongues that were like fire. I already talked about this. They were like fire that rested on everybody. They spoke with other tongues. Other people heard them speaking when they did that in their own native languages. And then Peter preached a powerful message. And 3,000 people got saved. Okay. That's what happens in the first telling of people being baptized in the Spirit. Let me go to the next one. And the next one has to do with Samaritan believers. See, at, you know, Jesus said you'd be my witnesses in Jerusalem. And then he says in Judea and Samaria and in the uttermost parts of the world where they were still in Jerusalem, right? And tribulation came and persecution came and the church in Jerusalem except for the leaders scattered. And several of them went to Samaria, including Philip, right? Philip the disciple, Philip went to Samaria, and he saw this great, great revival and, and a harvest of souls in Samaria. Samaritans, right, of all people that bitterly hated the Jews, and the Jews bitterly hated them. But there was this revival in Samaria, and this, we're going to pick up the story in Acts chapter 8. When the apostles in Jerusalem, like I said, you know, the leadership stayed in Jerusalem when everybody scattered. When the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had accepted the word of God, they sent Peter and John to Samaria. And when they arrived, they prayed for the new believers that they might receive the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit had not yet come on any of them. They had simply been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then Peter and John placed their hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. Now, so I'm going to talk about a man here. It says, when Simon saw that the Spirit was given 
at the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money. And he said, give me also this ability so that everyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. And Peter answered, may your money perish with you because you thought you could buy the gift of God with money. Here's that term again, right? The gift, the gift of God. Here's some observations. Um, Simon's story was he was a sorcerer in a particular um, town in Samaria. He did magic. And he was seen both by Jews and Samaritans as a very powerful man. Believers and unbelievers saw him as a powerful man. And many people thought this power was from God. They thought he had the power of God. Um, he became a believer. Simon became a Christian. When this happened, Simon has already become a believer and he's following Christ. Um, and I want to point out, um, we didn't read the next few verses, but Simon did repent. You know, when Peter, you know, pointed his finger at him, and you heard the words, right? Is Peter was pretty rough with him. Simon repented, so I want you to understand he did. Um, but the second thing I want to point out is there must have been some obvious sign. Now, this doesn't talk about speaking in tongues or anything, but something obviously happened when they laid hands on the believers and they received the Holy Spirit because Simon saw it, and he saw it as a representation or display of great power so much that he wanted to buy that, right? Something visibly happened. They didn't just, you know, come up to the front, receive the Holy Spirit, Go back, sit in your chair, right? I mean, something happened to let him know, oh my goodness, I want some of that. I'll go, I want to get a piece of that power. Um, also, another observation. These Samaritans were already believers, right? That's what you know, Peter and John went for. They, they, they went to Samaria to see these believers. So they were already believers, but it says in the Scripture they had not received the Holy Spirit. It was not automatic. They became believers, and boom, they were baptized in the Spirit. The state that they were in, they were already believers. So the second event hadn't taken place. Um, they had already been baptized. Scripture says it. They were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. But they still had not received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And it came on them in this instance when Peter and John placed their hands on them. They laid hands on them, and at that moment, they received the Holy Spirit. Next example. This third occurrence takes place with a man named Cornelius, and, and I really get excited about this story because up until this point, Gentiles had not been baptized in the Holy Spirit. Even though Samaritans were, were seen as like a an aberration of Judaism, they were not considered Gentiles, right? But Cornelius was a Roman centurion. He was a Gentile. And God is about to do something that we don't see take place anywhere in the Bible up to this point. The Spirit of God is going to be poured out on a Gentile. Yeah. And this is exciting. When we went to Israel five, five and a half years ago, I remember being excited going to Caesarea for that reason. You know, we'd been in Jerusalem, we went to the upper room, and, and that was kind of cool to be there. I think it was the upper room where the Holy Spirit was poured out, you know. But to go to Caesarea and to understand it's in this city that it finally came to us, to Gentiles, was pretty exciting for me. So here's, here's the deal. Um, 
Cornelius was a centurion, and he prayed to God all the time. He, he was a devout man. He was a righteous man, part of a group called the Italian Band. And one day when he was in prayer, God told him to send for a man named Peter who was staying in Joppa at the Tanner's house by the Mediterranean Sea. And, and he did so, and, you know, simultaneously God is meeting with Peter in Joppa and basically telling him, don't say that anything I give you is unclean, because he knew he was about to send them to Gentiles, right? So he, he sends men, they go bring Peter back, and Peter, Peter comes to Caesarea, and Peter starts telling them about Christ and about the gospel and about Christ dying and rising again from the grave. And, um, and this is what he says, while Peter was still speaking these words, he is in the middle of his sermon. The Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message, and the circumcised believers, meaning the Jews, who had come with Peter, were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on Gentiles. Yeah. For they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. And Peter said, Surely no one can stand in the way of their being baptized with water. They have received the Holy Spirit just as we have. Remember, Peter was there in the upper room at Pentecost. So he ordered that they be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. And then they asked Peter to stay for a few days. Well, they found out about this in Jerusalem. This was a new thing. God was doing a new thing. And the, the Jewish Christians in Jerusalem weren't happy when they found out what Peter had done. And they called Peter back to Jerusalem and says, you, you've gone in and you've eaten with Gentiles. What is going on here? And, and Peter says, okay, i got to tell you a story. And he tells a story about how God had spoke to him and the vision that he had given him. And then he tells them about these men had come and taken him to Caesarea. And then he tells them what happened in Caesarea. And he says, as I began to speak, the Holy Spirit came on them as he had on us in the beginning. Then I remembered what the Lord had said. John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So if God gave them the same gift he gave us who believed in the Lord Jesus Christ... Who was I to think I could stand in God's way? And when they heard this, they had no further objections, but they praised God, saying, ah, so then, even to the Gentiles, God has granted repentance that leads to life. This is a big deal. And this is how the baptism of the Holy Spirit came to us, right? To the Gentiles. Here's some observations about this occurrence. Peter was preaching he was telling them about Christ. These were people that, that were devout, but they didn't know the gospel, and he is telling them the gospel. He is preaching Christ, and in the middle of that, boom, they get baptized in the Holy Spirit. No one laid hands on them, did they? Nobody did. He's just preaching, and it happens. And it says they spoke in tongues, and they praised God. Man, it broke loose, didn't it? Can you imagine being in that place? You know, it was Cornelius, it was his family, it was his servants, and it was his friends that were there. Quite a crew. Um, and they were baptized, listen to this, they were baptized in water after they were baptized in the Holy Spirit. In this case, the baptism of the Holy Spirit came first. And it came because, I, you know, as, as he's preaching, I'm sure they were accepting what Peter was saying. They accepted that. And God Boom. 
And, and I think as much as it's assigned to them, it was assigned to Peter, and it was assigned to the, the council back in, in, in Jerusalem that this is real. I'm going to redeem the Gentiles as well as the children of Israel. Okay, one more. One more story from the book of Acts about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And this takes place in Ephesus. And I'm going to read from the 19th chapter of Acts. It says, While Apollos was at Corinth, Paul took the road through the interior and arrived at Ephesus. And there he found some disciples. And he asked them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they answered, No. And listen to this. We have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. So Peter asked, then what baptism did you receive? And they replied, John's baptism. Now, I want to remind you, John's baptism was a baptism to repentance. That's what John was doing to prepare the way of the Lord. He was baptizing people to repentance. And Paul said, that's what he says. John's baptism was a baptism of repentance. He told people to believe in the one coming after him, that is, Jesus. And on hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And then, when Paul placed his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they spoke in tongues and prophesied. So some observations of this story. First, they had already been baptized to repentance before this happened. They were then baptized in water in the name of Jesus. Then Paul placed his hands on them. Yeah? That's what we saw in Samaria, also with Peter and John, how they placed their hands on And they spoke in tongues and prophesied. So there are four different stories about the baptism of the Holy Spirit and how this baptism is separate from salvation, and it is separate from baptizing in water. It's very clear in Scripture that the baptism of the Holy Spirit is, a, is, a, is a, an event all to its own. I want to talk about some of the terminology that the Bible uses for the baptism of the Holy Spirit. First, the word baptize, right? I've been saying that all night. You know, we have read six instances in the last few minutes where this word is used to refer to baptizing in the Holy Spirit. Four times it's quoting John, right, in the Gospels. And then there's twice in the book of Acts, again, one time quoting John the Baptist, and then one time Jesus himself using that word. This is the word, the same word that we use for baptizing in water. It's not a different term. The word baptize is the same word that we use for baptizing in water. It's the Greek word baptizo, and it actually means to immerse or plunge, submerge. That's the concept of this baptism of the Holy Spirit being totally immersed, submerged, plunged into the Holy Spirit. And in all these instances where the word baptize is used, all, all six of these verses, all six of them, it's something that Jesus does. Who baptizes in the Holy Spirit? Jesus. All six times this word is used, Jesus baptizes in the Holy Spirit. He is the one as compared to water baptism, which we do, right? As we make disciples, we, people, we baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Okay. 
Another term that's used that, we, that, that we've seen in these scriptures is a term being poured out. You know, the prophecy that Peter quoted when he was doing this great sermon, you know, on the day of Pentecost, um, he quotes this prophecy from Joel, the second chapter, and, and as we read earlier, that, that prophecy said, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy, your old men will dream dreams, right, the, the rest of it. And Peter explained, later down in that sermon, we didn't read this verse, Peter explained how that works. See, when you read it in the Old Testament, it's God talking, as in God the Father talking, I'm going to pour out my spirit. And, and Peter basically explains later on in his sermon at Pentecost how that actually works. And what he says is this, Jesus pours it out as he receives it from the Father. He receives the Holy Spirit from the Father, and Jesus pours it out. This is what, exactly this is what Peter said. Exalted to the right hand of God, that's Jesus, and he's saying the one that you crucified, right? And he came back to life. Exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see right? All those people had seen this phenomenon, right? All these Galileans, come on, they're not educated. Really, they know all of our languages. There is no way. But we're hearing them. They're speaking in power, and we hear them praising God in our languages. Jesus poured this out. He received it from the Father, and he poured out what you are seeing right now. See, and Luke also used the same term in Acts when he was describing what Peter and those other people that went to Cornelius' house, what they had seen, he used that same term, that, that God had poured out the Spirit on them. And there's this other term called, that, that that's, uh, came on, talks about the Spirit came on them. We, we see this several times in Scripture. It's used to describe what happens from the Holy Spirit's perspective. What does the Spirit it's himself do? He comes on them. Again, Luke uses this in his description of what's going on, you know, with Peter and Cornelius and his family. And, and, and Peter himself uses that word when he's telling the, the people in Jerusalem. And, and then we see this word received, when you received the Holy Spirit. Um, Peter's using this word as he addresses the crowds at Pentecost, right? He's telling them in this sermon, Repent and be baptized, every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sin. That comes first. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now, in this reference, you know, Peter's using it in a passive tense. But when we read the account of what happens in Samaria, you know, when, when, when Peter and John went to Samaria, it says, Peter and John placed their hand on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. And it's an active tense. It was something that they did. They received it. And finally, the other term we see referring to the same thing is filled. This term was used in the very first instance of the baptism of the Holy Spirit when it's talking about the upper room and it talks about what happens. What does it say? All of them were filled with the Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. As such, we can likely, uh, or we can rightly, I should say, Assume that that's the same thing that Paul meant when he writes in Ephesians 5.18. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. He's talking 
about the same thing that happened in the upper room at Pentecost. Be filled with the Spirit. It's not just a one thing, it's a continuous thing. Just be filled. Stay filled. See, again, I'm not trying to belabor this, but the point I'm trying to make is that the way that all, I count them up, five of these terms are used in the New Testament, the way they are used clearly, and I mean very clearly, shows that they all refer to the same event. All five of these terms, as they are used in Scripture, and when you and I can sit someplace later and go back through these again, but they all refer to the same event. In fact, that account that we read of Peter going to see Cornelius, and then he goes back to Jerusalem and tells them what's going on, four of these words, or these terms, came on, the Spirit came on them, received, they received the Holy Spirit, poured out, the Spirit was poured out, and baptized, they were baptized, all four those different phrases were used to describe what happened at Caesarea, at Cornelius' house. They all refer to the same thing. They all refer to a single event. So, that's what we believe, that the baptism of the Holy Spirit is a singular event that takes place apart from salvation, apart from baptism in water, apart from regeneration, apart from sanctification. But to what end, right? Yeah, I mean, so what, right? So what? What's, what's the purpose? Well, here's the purpose. Let's take a look at the verse we've already read from Acts chapter 1. And this is Jesus talking. This is, if you have red-letter Bible, this is in red. Acts 1.8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And... You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Now, I've also heard, I've often heard people quote, and I say quote with air quotes, <laughs> this verse as, you will receive power to be my witnesses. Have you ever heard that? Let's look back at the scripture. Kind of reminds me of Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount where he keeps saying, you have heard it said, which is different from when Jesus told Satan in the wilderness, it is written. Okay, you have heard it said, you will receive power to be my witnesses. It is written, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses. That's how Luke recorded this statement. Jesus is clearly saying two things. He's saying two things. One, you're going to receive power. Two, you're going to be my witnesses. These are the two things that are going to happen when you receive the Holy Spirit. They're separate things. They're distinct things. And that's what happens when we are baptized in the Holy Spirit. And Jesus expects both of those of us when we are baptized in the Holy Spirit. First one, you will receive power, right? He's talking about power. This is what Jesus said would happen when the Holy Spirit came on them. That's the term he used. When he comes on you, they would receive power. But, but power for what? All right? Well, in Jesus' ministry, we see that the Holy Spirit came on Jesus when? At his, at his baptism, right? In the Jordan River when John the Baptist baptized him. The Holy Spirit descended 
upon him, and, and, and you know, John says in, in the visible form of a dove, the Holy Spirit landed on him so everyone could see it. And his ministry began after that. First he went into the wilderness, he was tempted, and then his ministry started. And we don't have any recording, and I don't think this is by accident, we don't have any recording in the Gospels of Jesus performing miracles or preaching in power before he was baptized and the Holy Spirit descending, descended on him. Think about this ministry that he had. I think, just think about the ministry of Jesus. He performed all kinds of miracles, healings, and he fed thousands of people, not once but twice, with just barely a little bit of food. He commanded demons to flee. He walked on water. He calmed storms. He even raised people from the dead. And, oh my goodness, when he spoke... When Jesus spoke, thousands of people came out to hear him. Thousands of people followed him. And, and, and thousands of people were so impressed that they left their beliefs for him. And Jesus displayed such wisdom that even his harshest critics, think about some of the, the the back and forth he had with the Pharisees and teachers of the law in Jerusalem. Even his harshest critics could not refute his arguments. He had that kind of power in his ministry. It was unbelievable. And this power, make no mistake, this power is available for us today as his followers who have been filled with the Holy Spirit. In fact, this is what Jesus said in John 14, verse 12. Very truly, I tell you, Whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing, and they will do even greater things than these because I'm going to the Father. What happens when he went to the Father? He sent the Holy Spirit in his place. Make no mistake. Baptism in the Holy Spirit brings power to a follower of Jesus that is unavailable through human strength, skill, knowledge, wisdom, talent, that power transforms how we minister to others, both believers and unbelievers. And as the Holy Spirit power propelled Jesus' ministry, Holy Spirit power also launched the church age, didn't it? We see the church being birthed out of what happened in the upper room that day on the day of Pentecost. This is the second thing Jesus said would happen. First, he said, you're going to receive power. Second, he said, you're going to be my witnesses. First locally and then eventually to the entire world. Now, now, now this is a non-negotiable, okay? This is a non-negotiable for us. Jesus expects this of all of us who are filled with the Spirit. And I want you to look at how effective this was, starting with the day of Pentecost. Remember Peter, the night that Jesus was arrested and the trial was going on and he was being drugged to Caiaphas' house and the Pilate, and, and he was accused of being one of the followers. And what, what did he do? Oh, man, he vehemently denied it. He didn't want to admit that he was a disciple of Christ. That's what Peter was. And we see that after the crucifixion, the disciples, the Scripture says in, in the Gospel of John, were hiding behind locked doors for fear of the Jewish leaders. That's where Jesus found them in the Gospel of John, hiding. Now, Let's scroll forward a few days, right? What, 40 days to the day of Pentecost? And what do we see? They're bold. They're fearless. Imagine Peter is now standing before thousands of people. 
and proclaiming the gospel. He's not ashamed of Christ. He's not afraid of Christ anymore. He's boldly. And you know what? There were no doubt people in that crowd who were implicit in the trial and the, and the prosecution and, and the crucifixion of Christ. There were no doubt people there that Peter was afraid of that night. You know? He's afraid no more. This fisherman. I'm not talking about a great preacher, a great educated orator. I'm talking about just a fisherman, right? Spoke with such boldness and anointing. There it is, right? Anointing. That it says, those who heard him, listen, were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what shall we do? That's how effective that sermon was. 3,000 people believed and were baptized that day. We see the same type of bold, powerful witnessing throughout the entire book of Acts as the, the disciples and the believers scattered across the known world. And um, in, in one town in, in Thessalonica, I like this, the Jews there called Paul and Silas these men who have turned the world upside down. Yeah, that's the kind of preaching that they were doing. That's the kind of witnesses they were for Christ. They turned the world upside down. And this should be an attribute of those who are baptized in the Holy Spirit. We should be bold, confident, effective witnesses for Jesus. And the other thing, we talk about power, we talk about being witness. And the other thing the, the baptism of the Holy Spirit brings is those who have been baptized in the Spirit have access to the gifts of the Spirit. These are further expressions of the power of Jesus that Jesus said his followers would receive when the Holy Spirit came upon them. In that they are, the gifts of the Spirit truly are supernatural. Men can imitate these gifts. They can display counterfeit versions of them. But the true manifestation of these gifts of the Spirit are only possible through that power that comes from being baptized in the Holy Spirit. And in the weeks ahead, Pastor Mark is going to be talking about this as he digs into 1 Corinthians 12 and 1 Corinthians 14. Specifically, these are the gifts that are described in 1 Corinthians 12. This is verses 7 through 10. Now to each one the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. To one there is given through the Spirit a message of wisdom, to another, a message of knowledge by means of the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by that one Spirit. To another, miraculous powers. To another, prophecy. To another, distinguishing between spirits. To another, speaking in different kinds of tongues. And to still another, the interpretation of the tongues. These are all supernatural gifts that come from the power resulting from being baptized in the Holy Spirit. So, how do you receive the Holy Spirit, right? Well, we've seen some examples. The baptism of the Holy Spirit, understand, it is a gift. It's not deserved. It's not earned. It's a gift. And I will be honest with you, I do not know why some people find it so difficult and it takes so long to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And for some people, it is so easy. I, I don't know. I mean, I was in a church service once where a kid came forward in salvation, for salvation, for salvation. And before he left that night, I mean, 
boom, he received the baptism. And this kid, he didn't know anything. Okay, he, didn't raise, he wasn't raised in the church. He didn't know what he was supposed to do. He's baptizing the Holy Spirit and speaking in tongues. Why is it so easy for him? And, and sometimes Christians like seek the Lord and seek the Lord and pray and seek it for years. I, I don't know. I'm sorry. I, I just don't. This is what we see from Scripture regarding the baptism of the Holy Spirit, receiving it. First, a person must repent and believe in Jesus for salvation. This gift is only for followers of Christ. That's the easy part, right? We understand that. It's only for followers of Christ. Here's a bit of an enigma. Sometimes the baptism in the Holy Spirit comes after water baptism that we saw tonight. and Sometimes, as we saw tonight, it comes before water baptism. We've seen both instances, haven't we? I talked about those verbs that, that um, are used in the Scripture to refer to this, and those verbs show various actors involved. First, the Father, through Jesus, pours out the Spirit. Jesus is the one who baptizes in the Spirit. The Spirit Himself comes on believers, and us, believers, we have to receive it. Okay? And I say that in an active tense, not in the passive tense. We have to receive it. See, the last term, being filled, is the only one that's actually a passive term. And it's used actually to describe a state that is a result of these other verbs. It's the state we find ourselves into. So, this is what we believe at Calvary Temple about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And in the next few weeks, Pastor Mark is going to teach in more detail about how the Spirit works in the church, including the, you know, the functions of the gifts of the Spirit. Like, like, like I mentioned, he's going to be talking about 1 Corinthians 12, 1 Corinthians 14. And if you have not received the baptism of the Holy Spirit, I, I hope what I've said tonight has given you some, some good doctrinal background, some, uh, a foundation, I hope, of why we believe what we believe. Because we believe very strongly that the Scripture supports us in our belief about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And if you have not received it, I, I encourage you to seek it. I do. I encourage you to go before God. God's a good Father, and He wants to give you good gifts. He does. And I believe He wants you to receive the gift of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And I encourage you to come back in the next few weeks as Pastor Mark continues with this very important topic. Yeah? Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, help us to understand, Lord, not what our church tradition is, not what our personal traditions are, not what we are personally comfortable with. But God, let us understand what your word tells us about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. We don't want to pursue anything that's not real. We don't. But, but we, Lord, have dug into your word, and, and you reveal things through your word. And, and God, we want this as part of our church body. We want people to be baptized in the Holy Spirit to receive power when that happens, to be witnesses when that happens, to see the gifts of the Spirit function the way you intended them to function when you gave them to the church. 
Let this happen, Lord. And I pray for my brothers and sisters who have been baptized in the Spirit, Lord, who have received that, that they would continue functioning in those gifts, Lord, that they would, they would pray, Lord, in, in, in the Spirit, that they would pray in the Spirit, Lord, and, and, and seek further to be used, Lord, that your gifts would funnel and function through them. And I pray for my brothers and sisters who have not yet been baptized in the Spirit. Put a desire in them, Lord, to, to experience this. Put that desire in their hearts, Lord, and, and bring it about, Lord. God, you said in the last days you'd pour out your Spirit on all flesh, and the last days started when your Son ascended into heaven, and we are still living in those last days. So, Lord, let that prophecy continue to take place and be fulfilled here at Calvary Church, Lord. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, guys. Good night.